Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. We've been emphasizing Proverbs 14, verse 12 recently. There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Just because something in religion seems right to you, whether it's sprinkling babies for baptism or women preachers or gay marriage, just because it seems right doesn't mean that it's right. If it's not according to God's truth, then it leads to spiritual death. There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I think there's a lot of people, it seems right to them that they can get divorces and remarrying and remarry and be acceptable to God. I'm just trying to close the loop on what I've been talking about the last two weeks, a lesson entitled Methodist Changes on Divorce. I'm not picking on the Methodists. It's just I've got some quotes here from the Methodist Creed book. We've already been through them. But let's look at a couple real quick just to show the progression. Here's what the Methodist Creed book, the United Methodist Church Creed book, said in 1896. No divorce except for adultery shall be regarded by the church as lawful, and no minister shall solemnize perform the wedding ceremony, marriage in any case where there is divorced wife or husband living, but this rule shall not be applied to the innocent party to a divorce for the cause of adultery. No divorce except for adultery shall be regarded by the church as lawful. That's what the Methodist church and every other church said back in 1896. And they were right because that agrees with what Jesus said in about 33 AD. Here's what he said in Matthew 19:9: Whosoever shall put away his wife Except it be for fornication and shall marry another committeth adultery and whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. So both Jesus, the Methodist church and all the other churches used to say, if you go back a hundred years ago, of course, what's really important is what Jesus said, of course. If you, what Jesus said is you can't divorce except for fornication. If your wife cheats on you, you can divorce her for that and remarry, but you can't divorce her for any other reason. If you do that and remarry, that second marriage is adulterous. That's what the Methodist church and all the other churches said in 1896. But you skip forward to 1984, the same Methodist creed book says, we're marriage partners, even after thoughtful consideration and counsel are estranged beyond reconciliation. We recognize divorce as regrettable, but recognize the right of divorced persons to remarry. So in 1896, they agreed with Jesus. Divorce except for adultery is unlawful. Now they say it's regrettable. Back then they say we're, if, if somebody wants to be married, we're not going to marry them. If one of the one of the, the boy or the girl uh, uh, has been divorced before. In 18, 1984, though, says divorce is regrettable, but recognize the right of divorced persons to remarry. Did they have the right to change in those hundred years or so? From agreeing with what Jesus said in Matthew 19, 9, that a divorce... For any reason other than fornication and remarriage is adultery? Just saying, well, divorce is regrettable, but it's okay to remarry? Did they have the right to make that change? Well, 95% of churches across America and Canada made that same change. If you go back 100 years ago, they all said divorce and remarriage is adultery. And if you're in that second or third marriage, you've got to terminate the marriage because you can't stay in adultery and be right with God. But they all compromised. Well, I say all about 95% or more of the churches have compromised and did what the Methodist church did. Were they right in 1896 when they agreed with Jesus? Or were they right in, 1894, in 1984 when they say something directly contrary to what Jesus says? Is it okay just to compromise and leave what Jesus says? I mean, if you're a church, aren't you supposed to be following Jesus? Aren't you supposed to be following the Bible? And if Jesus says divorce, 
for any reason other than fornication, remarriage is adultery. Do you have the right to just compromise that and say, no, divorce is just regrettable. And if you remarry, that's okay. Stay in that marriage. Do they have a right to do that? 95% of the churches or more did that. They had no such right, but they did it anyway. What do you think about being a member of a church like that that's compromised on divorce and remarriage and other such topics? If you have a Bible question or comment, the lines are wide open. Give us a call, 877-655-6755. Last week, we had a caller uh, that gave a verse they thought proved that once saved, always saved was true. But there are no verses like that. But let's look at the passage they gave. I didn't have time to give it very much of a treatment last week. It's John 10, 27, 28. Here's what Jesus said. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Now you first notice something. It uses the word pluck or other translations might say cease, seize or snatch. It's not talking about some... It's talking about someone else taking a sheep by force. Nobody can pluck them out of my father's hand. For just a silly example, I've seen a few hairs come out on their own off my head, off the head of many maturing men, but I've never seen a man pluck them out on purpose. Plucking something means you're taking them by force. It's not talking about voluntarily. You see the difference? So it says, no man shall pluck them out of my hand. That wouldn't mean they couldn't voluntarily leave. We'll get back to that in a minute. Dale from Wisconsin, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. No, I, I just listened to your program, and it's really enlightening to finally hear somebody in the clergy or whatever speak about it and call it the way it is. I have had numerous, just shy of arguments, even with my last two pastors on this. They said, no, oh, all you got to do is you know pray for forgiveness. I said, where do you... Where does adultery end? You know, yeah. if you remarry after an unbiblical divorce. And then I, I, I so, quote. As long uh, as you keep sleeping with that woman, you, the adultery continues, doesn't it? Thank you. I said it's no different than being just living with somebody in sin or two homosexuals. You're still, just because you say you're sorry, you have not repented. And the one I That's quote. exactly right, and they They don't want to listen to is... Uh, First Corinthians, Paul wrote it about it. I believe it's in seven ten to this. I yeah, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. If a woman separates from her husband, she must remain single or reconcile with her husband. First Corinthians and seven ten and eleven. That's right. You're right. And I quote that one and they just well, yeah, all sins are forgiven. Yes, they are. I'll never argue that. But you got to repent. You have to change your way. Here's an Old Testament oh. passage that agrees with what you said. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. Talking about prospering spiritually, but it says, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So God's grace, his forgiveness, his mercy only comes to those who are willing to forsake their sins. Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So you're right. Adultery, even homosexuality can be forgiven, Dale. You're right. But you have to repent. And if you're in a second or third marriage that Jesus calls adultery, you can't just say, I'm sorry. I, uh, 
and just and you're planning on continuing to stay in this adulterous marriage, that's, that'd be like two gay men saying they're sorry, but they're planning on continuing in a gay marriage. That's not repentance. You don't receive forgiveness for sins you're not willing to repent of. That's exactly right. Well, any well, other? Thank anything you. Else, like Bill? I said, you. No, that was the. It's just refreshing to hear someone finally say it the way it's written. Man Appreciate your encouragement. It, you know. Not well. You keep up the good work and uh, Merry Christmas. Appreciate your encouragement, Dale. And so we're talking about John ten twenty seven and twenty eight. No man can pluck them out of my hand. So no outside factor can pluck, seize, or snatch a Christian out of God's hand. That's not the issue. The issue is can a Christian voluntarily leave God's hand? For example, if I say I'm going to do such and such, and nobody can stop me, and I hear that from children a lot. That never means they can't stop themselves if they change their mind. I'm going to do such and such, and nobody can stop me. That doesn't mean they can't stop themselves. And in that same chapter, in John chapter 10, where Jesus says, no man can take them out of my Father's hand, you realize in John 10, 18, Jesus says, no man taketh it, talking about his physical life, from me. No man takes Jesus' physical life from him. Now, Jesus is a man. Does that prove that that even Jesus himself can't voluntarily lay down his life? No, that's, that's not the point of all. at all. The rest of the verse says that's why he's, what he's going to do. He's going to voluntarily give his life on the cross for our sins. So when he says, no man taketh my life from me, John 10, 18, even though Jesus is a man, it's not talking about him not being able to voluntarily give his life. It's not talking about himself. It's talking about some other man can't force him to give his life. No man taketh my life from me. So in John 10, when it says no man can pluck them out of my father's hand, again, the word pluck ought to tell you what it's talking about. Somebody's trying to do it by force. It's not voluntary. It's saying no man can pluck them out of my hand. It's not talking about the person himself can't voluntarily do it. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 10, no man shall stop me of this boasting. Well, does that mean that Paul couldn't voluntarily stop boasting? Of course not. The issue is, no, it's not, what, what John is saying in John 10 is that no outside factor can pluck a man out of God's hand. Not even the devil himself is powerful enough to do that. He can voluntarily leave the Lord. That's the issue. Is it possible to quit being a sheep, that is to quit following Jesus voluntarily? No man can force you. Of course not. But can you voluntarily quit following Jesus, quit being a sheep? Well, Hebrews 3.12 answers that question for us. It says, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. Here's brethren, Christians. He's warning them against developing an evil heart of unbelief and departing from God. Well, he would not warn them against that if that were impossible. You don't warn people against sharks in Huntsville, Alabama, because we don't live near the ocean. Now, if you drive five hours south of here, you might see a billboard sign, beware sharks. But not in Huntsville, Alabama. You don't bother to warn people about things that are impossible. And this is warning brethren against developing an evil heart of unbelief and departing from God shows it's possible. It's not possible for even the devil himself to pluck them out of God's hand. No man can do that as long as they're willing to follow Jesus. But if they voluntarily quit following Jesus, that's a different story. And we see that in John 6, 66. Talking about Jesus, it says, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. So nobody could 
tear him away from Jesus as long as they wanted to follow him. But many of his disciples, disciples, went back and walked no more with him. They could voluntarily leave Jesus. That's clear. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. We're talking about this doctrine of once saved, always saved, that it's impossible for a Christian to lose his salvation. There's a famous quote by a Baptist preacher explaining what the Baptists believe on this. This is a guy named Sam Mars. He was the pastor for the first Baptist church in Stanford, Texas. And he wrote this, I think, in the 1940s. So there's a good chance he's passed away by now. But this is what he wrote. Listen, I quote, A Christian's sins do not condemn his soul. The way a Christian lives, what he says, his character, his conduct, or his attitude toward other people have nothing whatever to do with the salvation of his soul. All the prayers a man may pray, all the Bibles he may read, all the churches he may belong to, all the services he may attend, all the sermons he may practice, all the debts he may pay, all the ordinances he may observe, all the laws he may keep, all the benevolent acts he may perform will not make his soul one whit safer and all the sins he may commit from idolatry to murder will not make his soul in any more danger. Now, that's the once saved, always saved position in a nutshell. Do you, do you believe that? Do you agree with that? That once you become a Christian, doesn't matter how much good you do, that doesn't make your soul any safer. And no matter how much bad you do, you could commit any sin from idolatry to murder, and that's not going to make your soul in any more danger. Is that what you really believe the Bible teaches? That's pretty extreme. But guess what? If it's impossible for a Christian to lose his salvation, then that quote would be true. If it's impossible for a Christian to lose his salvation, he could live any old way he wanted to. He could rape 20 girls a day, young girls. He could commit 20 murders a day, and he would never lose his salvation. If this false doctrine were true, it's impossible for you to lose your salvation. The Bible teaches none of that. We're going to prove it. Do you have a Bible question or comment? I want you to give us a call at 877-655-6755. There must be hundreds of verses in the Bible that conclusively prove that once saved, always saved is false. And not one that's for it, that teaches once saved, always saved is true. Not even that passage in John 10 that we went over about five minutes ago. If you examine what it's saying, it does not teach once saved, always saved. It's only a misunderstanding of that passage that leads to that conclusion. We should know that because if God says a hundred times, once saved, always saved is false, he's not going to say somewhere else that it's true. He doesn't contradict himself. This is God. He's not going to say one thing one day and something else another day. Now, a man might do that, but God's never going to do it. Let's look at some of these passages that prove once saved, always saved is false to the core. How about Galatians chapter five, verse four? Christ is become of no effect unto you, Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Now, when I was growing up, I, I climbed a few trees. I think I might have fallen from a tree once. You can't fall from a tree unless you're in the tree to start with. And when he said about these Christians that were trying to bind the old law, like circumcision or anything else, you're falling from grace, that would prove once saved, always saved is false. Because if they fell from grace, that means they were in grace at one time. They were saved. They fell from grace. They're not in grace anymore. They're not saved anymore. 
This is not talking about people who never become Christians. They were in grace at one point. But because of their false teaching, they fell from grace. They lost their salvation. Now, the Baptists will say it this way. They say, a Christian cannot fall from grace. Yet here we have Paul telling some Christians that they had fallen from grace. If it's impossible to fall from grace, how could Paul be telling some Christians that they had fallen from grace? That doesn't make any sense. If you believe the Bible, you will believe once saved, always saved is false. The once saved, always saved position is not taught anywhere in the Bible. It's just wishful thinking. We want to believe that once I become a Christian, I can live any old way I want to and still be saved. We want that so badly, we're going to believe it in spite of what God's word said. If you have a Bible question or comment, the lines are wide open, 877-655-6755. Let's go look at Hebrews 3, 1 and 12. First, I'll read verse 1 to show who the writer is talking to. He says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Now, who's he talking to? Brethren. Now, he's not talking about brethren, same race. He could have been doing that, but he's not. He's talking about brethren, Christian. How do you know that? Because it calls them holy brethren. This is a Greek word that means sanctified or cleansed from their sins. These are brethren who have been cleansed from their sins. It says they're partakers of the heavenly calling. Now, everybody has the heavenly calling. God's calling everybody. But only Christians have partaken of the heavenly calling, taken advantage of it. So these are Christians for 100% sure. And here's what he says to him in verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. We've already mentioned this verse. You don't bother to warn people about something that's impossible to happen. And he's warning these brethren. Verse 1, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, Christians against developing an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. Shows for sure that it's possible. It's not good, but it's possible for an unbeliever to change and become an unbeliever and depart from the living God. Now, what will happen to a Christian who does that? Let's look at John 3.36 and find out. John 3.36 has two parts. Here's the first part. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son, this is the second part. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So let's suppose you have this young man, 25 years old, who grows up in an atheist household. He doesn't believe in God. He's never believed in God. He doesn't believe in Jesus. Well, which part of John 3.36 applies to him? The first part or the second part? Well, that's easy. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life. So that atheist, he's never been a Christian at all, never believed in Jesus. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. He's not going to be saved. But then suppose a gospel preacher approaches him and preaches to him the gospel, the truth. Remember, only the truth will set us free from sin, John 8, 32. He preaches him the tr- to him the truth, and that young atheist accepts it genuinely. He becomes a Christian, a true believer, not a pretender I'm talking about. This guy actually becomes a Christian. Everybody does that at some point in their life. They become, they quit being a non-Christian and start becoming a Christian. They quit being a non-believer. They become a believer. So this atheist becomes a believer. I'm not talking about a pretender. He truly accepts the gospel and obeys the gospel. Now, the first part of John 3.36 would apply to him, right? He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. That's right. Now that he believes on the Son, he has everlasting life. He's saved. But suppose five years later, he changes his mind. 
he goes back to be an unbeliever. I've seen a lot of people do that. It's possible. We saw it's possible from Hebrews 3.12. Take ye brethren, Christians he's talking about. We know that from verse 1. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. It's possible for a believer to become an unbeliever. Just like it's possible for an unbeliever to become a believer. God never takes away your free will choice. Here in Hebrews 3.12, we see believers becoming unbelievers. They're departing from God. Now that atheist, well, he's started out an atheist. When he's 25 years old, he was truly converted to Christ. Now, five years later, he's done what Hebrews 3.12 says is possible. He's changed to become an unbeliever. What part of John 3.36 applies to him now? He's an unbeliever. He used to be a believer. Now he's an unbeliever. Well, the second part does. He that believeth not the Son shall not see light, but the wrath of God abideth on him. He was a believer, and when he was a believer, he had everlasting life. He was saved. But he lost that when he became an unbeliever, because the second part now applies to him. He that believeth not shall not see life. That's pretty clear. Hebrews 3.12 shows it's possible for a believer to become an unbeliever. And John 3.36 conclusively proves if a believer becomes an unbeliever, he loses his salvation. He had salvation when he was in grace, but now he fell from grace. Galatians 5.4, he became an unbeliever. He departed from the living God. And now John 3.36 says he is lost. He was a Christian, he was saved, and he lost his salvation, according to Hebrews 3.12 and John 3.36. It's as clear as day. If you want to accept what God says, you'll believe it. If you want to live any old way you want to, you'll reject it. If you have a Bible question or comment, call us at 877-655-6755. The number to call if you have a Bible question or comment is 877-655-6755. Now let's look at James 5. 19 and 20 on this subject. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sin. Again, like Hebrews 3, he's talking to brethren, Christians. He says to the Christians, if any of you do err from the truth, or the New King James says, if you wander from the truth. Illustration, little child wanders from the house. That means he was at the house and he wandered from the house. He left the house. Here's a brother in James 5, 19. He wanders from the truth. That means he was in the truth and he left the truth. Our job is to try to convert him back according to this passage. If we do, it says we save his soul from death. But what if he refuses to be converted back? That means his soul is going to die and his, his sins won't be covered. Well, if his soul's dead... That means he's lost. He was a brother in Christ, but he wandered from the truth. Now his soul is dead because he refused to be converted back. Once saved, always saved is again proven to be false by James 5, 19 and 20. It's very clear. Rob from British Columbia. Go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hi, I'm just going to quickly pull over. Um, I have a follow-up question to getting uh, remarried after divorce. Just one moment. Okay. Okay, I'm parked. So I had a, heard the previous caller say the only exception to uh, getting remarried is if there was marital unfaithfulness on the part of one party. Is that right. correct? Matthew 19.9, that's right. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to be, I, I don't mean to be confrontational, but okay. what you're saying then is that if a husband beat the you-know-what out of his wife repeatedly, and she, for her own safety, divorces him, 
that her only option for the rest of her life is to be reunited with that man. He didn't sleep with anyone else. He just beat her. Like so, I'm, I'm, a, I'm sensing a little bit of legalism that yes, but I, I'm just saying there are exceptions yeah. beyond that. The, yeah. the, in, where, where does the, the Bible give that? Where does the Bible give that exception, Rob? No, 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 no. I'm, I want to. I want you. Don't, don't pull that on me. What you're telling me is that that. Okay, Rob. I'm was, not trying to pull anything on you. You said there are other exceptions, and I asked for the Bible verse. And I think what okay, you're saying no, is you don't no, have a Bible I, verse. Is that right? Okay. Okay. Well, just one second. I want to finish my point. I want you okay. to say definitively. I'm gonna have that to go off the air. I'm gonna have to go off the air. Sorry, Rob. Thank you. I got 25 seconds. Now, Matthew 19, 9, here's what Jesus said. Whoever puts away his wife, except to be for fornication, shall marry another, commit adultery. That is the one and the only exception. If he beats her, then she should call the police and he should be locked up for the rest of his life. That, But he can't, she can't divorce him for that. Jesus doesn't give that authority. You can't find the verse for it. 